Well, good morning. What an honor to be introduced like that. Eh? <laughs> well, this morning, I believe I have a message that comes from the Spirit of God. And if you tune in your spiritual ears, I know you'll be changed today. Um, John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? In fact, I'm going to read it from the Amplifier. It says he comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no other purpose other than to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I came that they may have and enjoy life. Notice that. Enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. We all know that the devil is a liar. He's a thief. He's the author of everything that comes to steal from you. Anything that doesn't bring life, you can pinpoint right here where it comes from. And clearly, this scripture makes it clear that God is not the author of that. This scripture tells us clearly that God came to give us abundant life till it overflows. But the devil is incredibly deceptive. He's manipulative and he's scheming. And he has so many different ways that he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy without us even realizing it. You see, he will spin his lies so that it looks like God is the bad guy and that he's the one that is, is actually wants to give you the good things God is withholding from you. Case in point, it's an MO that he's used, and modus operandi, he's used since he used it on Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve were put into that garden with one um, instruction. Have dominion, rule and reign, and replenish the earth. That's all they had to do. That was their mandate from God. But what Satan did was he came, by the way, the title of my message today is The Devil Wants Your Destiny. You should write that down. The Devil Wants Your Destiny. And so what he did was he came to Eve and he spun what God had said to make it look like God was withholding from them. He said things like, oh, so God doesn't... He, when he said to Eve, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, so God knows that when you eat from this fruit, that you're going to be just like him. He could have said it this way. Oh, so God is withholding knowledge and power from you. I have a way to give it to you. Do you see this delicious fruit? Just one bite. Just one little bite. And he spun what God had said to make it look like God was the liar. And what he, Satan, really wanted to do, the devil, was to give them what God was withholding from them. And oh, what a great, great deception. Eve took a bite of that fruit. Undoubtedly, it was beautiful and the most tasty fruit on the planet. But it was still a bite of fruit that stole their destiny. It stole their destiny. God had given them an instruction. God had given them Adam and Eve an instruction, a destiny. It was to replenish the earth and to rule and reign like God. 
it's not so much that Adam, that Satan wanted to see Adam and Eve live in a fallen state and have to toil to get any good thing. What he really wanted was to steal the destiny God had given them. That's what he was ultimately after. He had tricked them into taking their eye off the prize or the destiny. Could I ask you a favor? I traded these glasses for a new pair because my others fall off my eyes. And now I can't see. <laughs> no, I need the ones that are old and broken. <laughs> there are only seven pairs in there. But <laughs> this is them. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> so what he did was he tricked Adam to take his eyes off the prize, or let's call it the destiny, for which he had called them, for which he had purposed for that piece of fruit. And then he took that very same trick because it was so effective, and he used it on Jesus. Same trick he used on Jesus. You see, when Jesus started his ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And when he hadn't eaten for 40 days, Satan showed up. The devil showed up. He said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Now, clearly, Satan didn't care that Jesus was hungry. He was after something much bigger. He was after Jesus' destiny. I'd like to just insert a little freebie here for you. I like to use the word sometimes that he suggested to Jesus to turn the stones into bread rather than temptation. Because if we realize that all of temptations that come to us are merely suggestions from the devil, we can just say to him, not interested today. <laughs> I don't like that one, right? It's not so much a temptation then as much as it is a suggestion that I can turn down. I'm not really interested in that one. So back to Satan and Jesus' interaction here. He wanted Jesus to step out of his humanity so that he could steal his destiny. If Jesus had done that, he would have stepped out of his humanity and every one of us would be lost for all eternity. All eternity. And the, when it didn't work with the bread, he said, well, why don't you jump down from this tower and the angels will protect you once again. Or hear the kingdoms that you come for. I'll give them to you. What he was after was Jesus' destiny. What was Jesus' destiny? What was his destiny? To come as a man, to be born as a man, and to die for the sin that Adam had brought on this earth, that Adam had brought onto this planet. And all of us, once again, would be lost for all eternity if Jesus had succumbed to that suggestion that Satan had brought across his path. Great. He defeats Satan with the word of God. But I'd like to propose to you this morning the thing that really gave Jesus the ability to resist Satan was because he knew he had a destiny. John. Yes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
because he knew he had a destiny, because he knew he could trust his father, he could resist him. John 12, 27 says, my soul is troubled. This, troubled. this is hours before he goes to the cross. He says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. This is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Listen to what Jesus said. No, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus knew his destiny. He knew exactly what he'd been born for. When we know that we have a destiny, it will enable us to resist Satan, to push back, to push back. Oh, this destiny that, um, uh, uh, that Satan stole from Adam, if, if Adam had really known, I mean, really known, known deep down, not just, oh, I've been given a mandate to rule and reign, but knowing deep down inside that all of mankind's destiny rested on him, that he had a destiny to fulfill. I am convinced that when he heard the conversation with the serpent and Eve, he would have gone in there and sent that serpent packing. Because he knew that he knew that he knew there was a destiny on him. That there was a purpose within him. But the moment they partook of that fruit or that lie, believed that lie, they set into motion a destiny, the destiny of every person that God has ever used. And I will show you how. Every person that God has ever ever used, their destinies were set into motion when they ate that fruit. God had to go on the move. He had to look for people. All of mankind's destiny was wrapped up in that. He tried to steal Abraham's destiny. Just think about that. Abraham promised him, or, or God promised Abraham a son in which he had to stand for faith for 25 years. And then he faced the dilemma of having to offer up that promised son to God. Oh, it wasn't about Abraham. It wasn't about Sarah. It wasn't about Isaac. It was about God finding a man who would hear him so that the destiny of the Israelites could be established. And he, Jesus' destiny was tied up in Abraham's to establish a people through which he could bring his Savior. He tried it with Moses. In fact, this is how, how intertwined our destinies are. In fact, he had thousands, tens of thousands of babies murdered to try and destroy Moses' destiny. Moses' destiny was to take those people that was tied into Abraham's destiny, where he had looked for the father figure of faith to begin the Jewish people. Now Abraham had to lead them out of slavery. Sorry, Moses had to lead them out of slavery. And Moses fulfilled his destiny. But here's the thing. He didn't lead them into the promised land. He handed the baton on to Joshua. 
Moses' destiny was tied into Joshua's. What if there was no Joshua to hand the baton onto? What if Moses hadn't come? What if Abraham hadn't said yes? Our testimony, our, our, our um, destinies are tied up together. They are tied together. Galatians chapter 3, in case you were wondering, Galatians chapter 3 tells us that um, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law when he became a curse for us. Let me read verse 14 for you from um, the Passion Translation. Jesus Christ dissolved the curse in our lives so that in him all the blessings of Abraham. Do you see how Abraham was integral to our destiny? All the blessings of Abraham can be poured out on the Gentiles. And now through faith we receive the Holy Spirit that, who lives in us. We were woven into Abraham's destiny. What about Mary? Mary. A destiny so huge, so huge, and yet disguised in a humble young woman who knew she would suffer contempt from her contemporaries. She delivered the Son of God in a stable. Once again, it wasn't so much about Mary. It wasn't so much about Joseph. It was about the Son of God and the fact that she said yes so that God's destiny could be fulfilled. And because she did say yes, their names and their stories are written in the Holy Scriptures for us to read today. How many more? Joseph, Esther, David, the disciples. Each of these men and women had a divine destiny and a race to run that was so much more than them crossing their own finish lines. They had to pass the baton onto the next generation to finish that race. The generations or the destinies of generations to come rested on each of them fulfilling their own destinies. We are here today because they ran their races. Because they fulfilled their destiny. There is no single destiny on the planet that is isolated and completely separated from somebody else. Jesus' destiny, Jesus' destiny was intertwined in Abraham's destiny, in Moses' destiny, in Joshua's destiny, in Mary's and Joseph's destiny. It was all intertwined together just like ours are. Each of them had to run their race and fulfill the destinies that they had and hand the baton onto the next person. Hebrews 11.39 says, And all of these, though they won divine approval by means of their faith, did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised. Notice here, they ran their race, they handed on the baton, but they did not receive the fulfillment of it. Our destinies are intertwined. We are running a race so that we can hand the baton on to the next generation. Verse 40 says, because God had us in mind, you and I, you and I, this is Paul writing this. He said, God had us in mind. 
and had something better and greater in view for us so that these heroes and heroines of faith should not come to perfection apart from us before we could join them. Nobody runs their race alone. Nobody. They hand it on. We are part of that destiny. They ran their race. They fulfilled their destiny. But they never saw the fulfillment of the promises. They never saw the fulfillment of the prophecies. They didn't because they were just a part of the race that was running so God could have his ultimate purpose. Just a part of the race. We are the next person. We are the next group of people to take the baton and run the race. That's who we are. How many times do you think Satan tried to steal the destinies of these men and women? And the nation of Israel. He's still trying to steal the nation of Israel. He's still trying to do it. There was disobedience. There was pride. There was tragedy. There was martyrdom. And ultimately, Jesus on the cross. Through the destiny of all of these men and women, through the eons of time, God had a plan, a purpose, and a destiny that has to be fulfilled. And he cannot do it without us. The destiny of Jesus was the church of God. It was you and I. The gospel must be preached. It's our destiny. That's our destiny. It's the race we have to run. We have to preach the gospel and reveal the goodness of God to those who don't know. Those who have yet to hear him. The day after Jesus was resurrected, he handed the baton to you and I. To the church. He said, here's the baton. Finish my race. Finish my race. If we don't run the race, did he die in vain? If we don't preach the gospel, we have to run the race. And that is why the devil is after your destiny. You are the one running the race now. You have the baton in your hand. You may think that your destiny is insignificant. But it's intricately woven into the destiny of the promise and the plan of God for his church. Every one of you. The plan of God is to set on fire this region. That's what's happening. And it's part of our destiny to be part of the person running the race, looking for the next person to hand the baton onto. Why do you think we encourage and train up the kids and empower the kids so we can hand the baton onto them so they can be ready to run their race? That's what we have to do. Let me remind you in case, just in case you think your destiny is insignificant. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 in the Passion. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, listen, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. God planned your destiny before you were even born. He planned the race you'd have to run before you were even born. The devil would like nothing more than to derail you from your race and your destiny. He doesn't. This is something you really need to understand. The devil doesn't just want to make you sick. He doesn't just want to make you poor. He doesn't just want to make you uh, um, depressed. 
He doesn't just want to steal the lives of those you love. He wants to derail your destiny. That's what he's after today. Your destiny. He wants you to turn around and curse God. He wants you to turn around and say, this doesn't work. That's what he wants you to do. But it's your destiny that's at stake. Jesus has called you. He wants you to throw in the towel and quit before you finish so that he steals your purpose and your destiny. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, and once again I'm reading from the Passion, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness. Of what? The whole of my destiny, my purpose, my plan. That's what Paul was doing, that I'm pursuing. But I run with passion. This is a church of passionate believers. And we run our race with passion, guys, into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose. What is Paul after? His destiny, the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. And then he says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I also forget the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. We cannot do this without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, and without his strength. In the grand scheme of things, church, the blessings, the favor, and the goodness that God so graciously pours out on us is not really about us. It's about your divine destiny. It's about being equipped for the race. He needs a strong, healthy church to run the race. He needs people with money to finance the gospel. He needs people who are on fire and full of joy so that we can reach those who are dying and desperate. It's, that's why he pours out all this goodness. It's about looking the devil in the eye and telling him he won't stop your divine call and he won't stop you running your race. It's about running the race to receive the prize so that those who have run the race before us and handed us the baton can stand and cheer in the grandstands of heaven knowing you'll finish the race for them. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're talking about in heaven, guys, who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance and unnecessary weight and the sin that so easily, readily, deftly, cleverly clings to us and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He for the joy, this is talking about Jesus now, he for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him. We were that prize. Endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the ultimate cheerleader. Handing that baton. Jesus ran his race. 
He fulfilled his destiny. And if we don't run our race and we don't fulfill our destiny, he can't finish his, that end part. He can't get there. God did not place you here to merely exist. He sent you here deliberately to this place for exactly such a time as this. He did not put you here to merely survive. I implore you today to embrace the destiny inside of you. He knows you. He knows exactly what you need. He sees where you are and what you've walked through to get here. Whether you realized it or not, he was walking with you. He knows where you're headed and he has gone before you to prepare the way. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Don't let the critics slow you down. Don't let the burdens bring you down. But do listen to the cheerleaders. Cheering you on your race with all your might. Run with all your might for the incorruptible crown. Satan's ambition in life is to steal your destiny. We all have a divine purpose. And because we have a divine purpose, I believe there's a divine place where God has gone ahead of you and prepared the works that he has for you to do. He's prepared the paths, the works, and the destiny. He went into your future and he prepared all that you would need so that he can fulfill the plan for your life. He prepared the supply, the weapons, the leader, the church that you belong to. He prepared for you. He prepared the global church so that we could run the race. And then he handpicked us from all over the world and brought us to the promise to fulfill our destiny so that we could run our race. This is where you'll find the cheerleaders cheering you on. This is where you'll find your tribe that God appointed for you. Chris Vallotton has an amazing quote. He says, the people around us awaken the destinies dormant within us. It's such a powerful truth. If you know today, like Adam should have known, and like Jesus did know that there's a destiny in you, then when the devil comes after it, when he suggests to you that you lay down your destiny, that you put down that baton, that it's not worth running the race, that it is too hard, you'll be able to resist that urge because you know you have a destiny, because you know you're not running alone, because you know you're not isolated and that your destiny is not isolated. You'll be able to say, no, I will hand this baton on to the next generation. Jesus was able to endure the cross to fulfill his destiny and hand the baton on to us because he knew he had a destiny. He endured the cross because he knew he had a destiny. Today, each of us have an opportunity to accept our destiny and accept the batons that are being handed on to us from the generations that are cheering us on in the grandstands of heaven and to commit to finishing our race for the prize of what is that grand prize? Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't let the devil steal your destiny. 
Could you close your eyes? I'd like to finish with a prayer. The service is not over. When I'm finished praying, please stay seated. Pastor Cindy has an important announcement today. Lord, we declare today boldly in the presence of witnesses that we will run our race. We will finish our destiny. We will not lay down the purpose that you've called us to. But we will rise up with renewed vigor as we hear those in the grandstands cheering us on. Telling us to run with boldness, to run with courage, and to run with determination. So that we too will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thank you. Come on, how about that sermon? Pastor Lindsay and the Holy Spirit. Come on now. Uh, well, I wanted to give you um, kind of an update of what's been going on with my family and, and my dad, uh, what he's been dealing with. Back in um, December, he, my dad noticed he was having some stomach issues and some things were going on and um, that just weren't right. And uh, so, you know, you try and go to the, the doctor, the GPs, and it was like every time he went to the GP, it was like the GP of the day, you know, the general practitioner of the week, you know. So every time you went, you got the run around because the person before didn't know what was going on. Um, and, and symptoms progressed. He was in a, a lot of pain, um, and his belly started getting really distended and losing weight and hard to eat and all that kind of stuff. And um, when the symptoms progressed, finally people started taking him more seriously and uh, sent him for MRIs and all that. And on May 10th, we got the results back and uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at that point. Um, <clears throat> we made the decision to um, stand in faith and pray because that's what we know and that's what we believe. And so we called a handful of people Obviously, some of the, the, the pastors and elders and a select few of pastors. And on May 30th, uh, we anointed Dad with oil. And we prayed and we signed a contract believing Dad will be healed, miraculously healed. And we also asked the people that knew to um, take basically a vow of silence to not talk about it. Because the reason why is if you believe what you preach, then faith is speaking life. And we didn't want people going around saying, did you hear Pastor Henry's got cancer? You know, so we continue to speak life. And that's the fight. Um, um, unfortunately, things turned very, very quickly. Um, I made the first 911 call on June 20th. And um, by the time, because he's, his eyes yellowed very quickly, he's jaundiced. Um, he was throwing up, passing out, and um, so by the time I took him, got him to 911, they said he had anemia, his blood level was a 4, if you're supposed to be between 7 and 12, so they started doing blood transfusions in the ER. <clears throat> so that week we were in hospital for 12 days, they did five blood transfusions, they put a stint in, in his pancreas in the bile duct to relieve the bile that's in the body, the bilirubin, the color yellow, it's poison backing up into the body. Uh, you can't live like that. And um, so they did that. And <clears throat> that was all happening when I was preaching and doing the water baptism that day. My dad was in hospital. So um, and from there, 
we went uh, home. We were only home for about four or five days because um, it's incredibly weak. Um, not being able to eat, has, hadn't eaten in like a month. Small little bites of mango and a little bit of strawberry yogurt to get down is really all could get down. Cause, and also they drained about five liters of fluid from his belly because the stomach just retains the fluid. <clears throat> so uh, we went home. We were only home for about four or five days because um, his strength deteriorated very quickly. And I, <clears throat> my husband and I couldn't, couldn't move him, couldn't, and I knew something was um, more wrong. So I, I called 911 again said, I think he needs his stomach drained. We need to check some other things. And <clears throat> when they got him in, they realized due to the lack of nutrition, you know, he was in this weak state. So they, they, had, they put a, um, a pick line in his arm to feed him TPN. And they put in a permanent catheter in his stomach to drain the fluid every day. And if you know my dad, <laughs> this is not, this is his worst nightmare right here, you know. He does not like being, he's never been sick longer than a day in his life. You know, he's just not a sick person. He just doesn't do well with hospitals or any of this. And um, we were in the hospital this last time now for a week. And, <clears throat> um, you know, I'm fighting, I'm fighting for him in every possible sense. And on Monday I noticed, well, if I'm honest, I, I noticed for a while you know, that he's, he's starting to wanting to decline treatments and they're poking his finger every four hours for the sugar, you know, testing the insulin, poking him for that. And on this week, Monday night, well, Tuesday morning at 2.45 in the morning, the Holy Spirit woke me up and said, he wants to go home. He's tired. And I cried and yelled. I was like, where is Smith Wigglesworth when you need him? <laughs> and uh, the Holy Spirit is our guide, even when, even in the darkest times. He, he'll guide you if you let him, if you listen. And in that moment, he told me, you will regret, because he's going, and you will regret not being his daughter right now. Because I was the fighter. I'm the fighter. I'm in the hospital room. I'm fighting with the doctors. I'm fighting with the nurses. I'm, I'm fighting. I'm not sitting at his bedside holding his hand, saying all the words you wish you could say. And so that morning I walked in and I gave him his meds and I got on the bed next to him and I laid my head on his chest and I began to cry and tell him how much I loved him. And he started to... I just started to say all the things I wanted to say and he started to quote the scriptures to me and I sat up and I said I've got them here thank you guys I appreciate it I'm sure there's a forest being cut down for me right now <laughs> um, and I started to you know I he started to quote the scriptures I'm like dad just tell me and he said I'm tired um he cared for my mom for a really long time. My mom had a stroke when she was 49. She coughed and sneezed and dissected the carotid artery. So it's 25 years that he cared for her in that state. And the last five years when she got hit with a myasthenia gravis, autoimmune, um, and unfortunately declined a lot in the mental state as well. So we don't talk about that kind of stuff because my dad's not a sympathy seeker and, and nor am I, but people don't understand to the degree of 
uh, caregiving that he has done that most people would have signed out a long time ago and said, that's not for me. And that's not my dad. And about a year ago, he said to me in confidence, tired. He said, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. I really can't do this anymore. He's like, I'm worried. Because if mom doesn't go soon, I might. And so people don't know where he's been for the last year. I know. And the Holy Spirit was gracious enough to remind me of all this. Um, because it's hard when you're in faith. You, you like, where is God? Why isn't the miracle happening? You know, you want to be angry. You want to be angry at somebody because most people only see the end result. And they, they wonder, where was God? Why did this happen? But see, if you allow the Holy Spirit to walk with you, he will show you stuff. And if you can step back and see the big picture, you can see where his word started to take him. Understandably so. And he opened up the door in the same breath for the enemy to come in. Because cancer is not from God. It's from the enemy. The enemy waits for the enemy waits until you at your absolute lowest to hit you the hardest. And when my dad told me the diagnosis, I told my husband, I said, this is the worst possible time in his life for this to happen. Because he is at his most tired he's ever been. He's always spiritually strong, but physically, emotionally tired. And so I had the opportunity that day and the next day, he didn't want to get another stint put in. He was getting so jaundiced, but he did for me. And the surgeon told me I could barely get the stint in. The tumor is pressing down so hard in the bile duct. I could barely get the support in. I, I don't know how long it'll last. But at that point, there's nothing more they can do. And so I had about 24 hours here and there of being able to sit with my dad and talk. And I treasure that because a lot of people don't get that when their loved one is snatched away. They don't get that. And so for me, it was a treasure. I walked, he looked a lot better after they put the stint in because it, it starts straining the bile. You almost feel, immediate, feel better. The food was feeding him, so he was feeling better as well. But my aunt flew in, my brother was flying in. Um, because I, I, I told people, he's, he wants to go. And he doesn't want to live like this. There are tubes and feeding and perking him and everything else that was going on. And when I walked in the next day, unfortunately, he was completely jaundiced and, and almost un, very sedated. And I knew instantly the stint didn't hold. And so, a week? How much time do I have? I don't know. And I had asked him when we were sitting there. My dad's a planner. So he has wills and living trusts, and even when he got the diagnosis, he started making changes and writing things and adjusting things and writing everything out. He's, he's a planner. Uh, churches, we've been planning for years with the church stuff. You'll hear more about that as the time goes by, but my dad is a planner. Nothing is catching him by surprise. And I had asked him, where would you rather be if the miracle doesn't manifest in time? And he said, I would want to be home. 
And so I said, okay. And the next morning when I walked in and I saw him jaundiced, I just said, we're taking him home today. So I said, please stop everything. Take the feeding tube out. Take everything out. We're going home. And so we got hospice and they transported him home on Thursday. And uh, my brother was able to fly in and, and Anya and baby. And um, my dad was pretty out of it. And uh, when they walked in the hospital room, little Bella Vera, she's only like 19 months, you know, and she's teaching her opa and oma. That's granny, grandfather and grandma in, in Afrikaans, where we, South Africa, where we grew up. And uh, she's just learning to talk, and she comes in the hospital room, and they're holding her, and she goes, Opa. And my dad opened his eyes and looked at her and went, Opa, back at her. So, um, but I had, um, I had, I told my dad, you got to hold on, because Haynes coming this weekend, and I got to tell the church, and uh, I want to have some worship and communion time with you on Friday. And so that's what we did. Uh, we had Pastor David and Carrie come up on Friday, and they played some worship music for us, and we had communion with my dad and worship with him one last time. And uh, he had moments on Friday afternoon where he opened his eyes, and he was like wide awake, and I ran up and called my brother, come down quick. He's awake, and he was able to talk and, and um, get those few moments in. And so obviously as... Uh, Saturday progressed, the jaundices progressed, and he's, he's sleeping mostly, and um, it's, it's very close now. Uh, so I told him this morning, it's Sunday, because I told him, don't go before Sunday, Dad, because I don't want to get up there and say that, but um, in the same breath, when you see somebody at this stage, you don't want them to suffer, you want them to go. So my brother and I Terry, we stood around and we I told him, Dad, it's Sunday this morning. I'm going to tell the church. Thank you for holding on. Thank you for running a race. Not just running it, but winning it. You won your race, Dad. And you deserve to go play golf with Jesus every day. You deserve the rest that's coming. He gave his life. He told my aunt in the hospital room, he said, he saw my mom, his girl. He said, I gave my girl everything I had. I had nothing left for me. And so I said to him, we love you, Dad. It's time to go be with Jesus. So... I know it's a shock for many. It's still a shock as I'm standing here. <laughs> my husband's okay with me saying this, but next to God, my dad is my everything. We're very, very close. He's not just my dad, he's my spiritual dad. He's been everything. My loss is unimaginable. But I want you to know I'm at peace. Because I know in a blink of an eye, Jesus is going to walk in that room. And he's finally going to get to see him.
He always wanted a vision. He always wanted a chance to see Jesus. I said to him, Dad, I wish I could see you one minute after you see Jesus. He smiled. Um, I will ask if you have questions or if there's you're trying to reach me if you could reach out to Pastor Mary first um, just because we want to try and obviously there's a lot going on nurses people (laughs) a lot of immediate family and people close that are contacting and I'm trying to keep people in the loop with everything so if you're trying to reach me please reach out to Pastor Mary first and then she can relay um, messages to me Um, so appropriately my dad's last sermon was on faith you know that day we knew we already knew and the reason he took this the summer sabbatical because we were going to fight it you know our version of fighting it wasn't going to look like this but so um, even since Monday when I decided to to let the church know things looked very different on Monday I didn't think we would be here so quickly but on Wednesday, when I took my mom into the hospital to see my dad, because she was like, no, I'm waiting. He can see me when he gets home. I'm waiting for him when he gets home. And I just said, mom, this is not about you. You're getting in the car. Dad wants to see you. She's like, okay. And we got in the car, and I had to kind of break the news to her of where he was at. And um, we got to the hospital room, and they already given him some pain meds. So he was getting a little drowsy, but he was still able to talk to her. And uh, they were holding hands, and they have a love story like you can't even begin to imagine, okay? You can't even begin to imagine. And my mom, my entire life, has said, when we're old, we're going to lay down on the bed next to each other, we're going to hold hands, and we're both going to go to Jesus at the same time. My entire life. You don't even know. Like, everybody that knows them knows that's what my mom has said. So when I took her to see my dad on Wednesday, this was, he was actually doing reasonably well, considering as I put the stint in. So he was looking, I was like, wow, you're looking a bit better, dad. And, and my mom was sitting there with him on the, the, the thing and she was saying, I love you and talking about life. And he said, life is so short. And he said, not long now. And she said, before what? And he said, oh, he said, in a few days from, he goes, only a few days left is what she, what he said, only a few days left. And she said, for what? And he said, before I'm in eternity. And I stepped behind the curtain and sobbed. But I was also like, what does he mean? A few days. We, we should have more time than that. They've just done the stint. He should be, you know, we've got more time. What does he mean? What does he know that I don't know? Only a few days left. And my mom said, well, I guess in that case, I'm going to heaven too. She's like, if you're not going to stay, I'm going to go too. She only ever stayed for him. (laughs) My mom's life has almost ended many times. And uh, she's only ever stayed for him. So if you hear news that she went as well, don't think the enemy's off to my family. Realize that, like, the notebook is a real thing, people, okay? (laughs) Like, they took it from my family. Um, Yeah, realize that that's a possibility and I don't even say that lightly because they are incredibly connected and I can't 
quite fathom what's going to happen because we were never quite prepared for this. We were prepared the other way. And we understood that, but this is obviously the flip of the coin and um, not in a good way. So there's lots of obstacles ahead. There's lots of challenges ahead uh, as I try and navigate some of what I've got to deal with. So I'll ask for grace as, I, as we move forward. I will ask that you, if this is your home church, that you support, that you continue to do what Dad wanted. Like Pastor Lindsay said, the enemies come to steal your destiny. He hit me with everything he had. He wants to pour water on the fire that's here. He wants to stop the growth. He wants to stop the salvations, the healings, the miracles. He wants you to just turn around and say, where is God? How could he let this happen? That's why I wanted to try and share with you what is going on so you could understand that we have a lot of say in our life, whether you stay or whether you go, how long you fight, when you decide to give up, that is your right. And God honors that. He will never impose his will on you. Not even if everybody is praying for you. On your front lawn. For those few people that were on my front lawn, we love you. Don't let the enemy steal what God is doing here. Of course, there'll be sadness, unimaginable, an unimaginable hole. But here comes the glory of the Lord. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday.